Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ready? See if you can identify these five clips in the order that they're played. It could be from a song, a movie, a TV show, or something else. But if it's coming from this podcast, then you know that it's from Generation X. If our guest gets it wrong on the show, then I'll explain how you can enter to win a fabulous prize package. Listen closely. Good luck. Hey, John Wilder, write us out of this one. John Wilder? John Wilder? Vision Wilder? Hollywood. Hollywood Montrose. Doesn't it just sing? And welcome to Who Will Save Generation X, the trivia game show that is dedicated to remembering, celebrating, and preserving all the wonderful qualities of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. I am Xavier, your host, and today we have two great contestants ready to compete for fabulous ultimate slacker prizes and in the process do their part to save Generation X from being forgotten. Are you ready to do your part? Please play along with the contestants while you listen and see what rad prize you would have wanted if you were here with us, saving Generation X from fading into oblivion. We're so happy that you've chosen to join us, and I'm sure you're going to get a nice dose of nostalgia and maybe a few laughs along the way. So if everyone's ready, let's start the show. I am super, <laughs> I am super excited to welcome back these two former guests for a rematch on the show. We did our fourth ever episode nearly two years ago to this very day. And as I recall, there were a lot of loud arguments, quibbles, and hard feelings at the end of the show. So this should be a very good episode. There's something for everyone here, I hope. If you like reminiscing about Gilligan's Island, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Weird Science, or guests telling the host that they don't know what the hell they're talking about, then this episode is one you might especially like. Especially like. We're going to say the pop culture and nostalgia of Gen X from being forgotten today with these two high school buddies of over 30 years ago. Let's give a very quick hello to each of them now. Let's first welcome back to the show the winner of the last game when these two guys played against one another back in episode four, Bill. I'm just a Bill. Hey, Bill. Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. I, I got to say you are doing a truly spectacular job of saving Generation X. I, I wake up every day just thanking the Lord that you are around to make sure that I'm able to get out of bed that day, uh, because if this podcast didn't exist, I'm not sure that it, life would be worth living. So thank you, Jay. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Sarcasm is a language I speak as well. Thank you very much for being here. Well, I uh, should hope so, because I'm laying it on pretty thick. 
<laughs> Let's also welcome back to the show the guy who played spoiler to Bill and blocked him from winning his prize last time. Please welcome back Darren. Hey, Darren. Very well, Dennis. Darren, mother. Oh. So that's my explanation. I didn't think I lost. I thought it was just a push. Oh, no, you lost. <laughs> you definitely lost. Yeah, back then we had the rules were a little bit different. The loser of the game could uh, spoil the prize round for the winner. I listened to that episode in preparation for this one. It's amazing how far we've come since back then. Uh, the, the last two years of my life then were a lie because I thought that it was just a push. Yeah, All right. right. Well, game on now. Yeah, back then we couldn't afford to give everyone a chance at a prize and the game mechanics were just very different. In your episode, you guys were both kind of winners in a way, to your point, Darren. Since this isn't soccer... We fixed that problem, and now we crown a champion at every episode. So it'll be interesting to see how well you guys do in the updated version of the show. All right. Bill, always good luck. Good no, luck grudges, no grudges held whatsoever. None. At least not toward you. Maybe the, maybe the host, but that's a different story. I'm still a little salty from the last time. It's already <laughs> begun. Before we start, let's give a quick overview of the games we'll be playing today. If you're new to the show, this is how we play. The show is broken up into three rounds of trivia and games. Whereas most points at the end of the game will win a chance at today's ultimate slacker prize. The power. Struggle. In the opening of this episode, you heard five quick clips from Generation X. The game is called The Power Struggle, and in this game, you need to name those five clips in the order that they were played. At any time during the episode, contestants can interrupt the game and declare that they want to solve the Power Struggle question. They only get one chance to answer correctly, and if they are correct, then they instantly steal the power away from their opponent. However, if the guest gets it wrong here in the show, then we're going to open it up to all of you listening to this episode to contact the show to see if you can get it correct. All correct entries to contact the show via our newsletter will be entered into a quarterly drawing to win a prize package from the podcast. So stick around to see if our two contestants can get the power struggle question correct or not. Then I'll explain how you can send in your entry to try and win it. We'll play the clip a couple of times during the episode. So listen close and see if you can win the power struggle. We're going to jump right into round one now and get the games rolling. Round one. You know, guys, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. There you have the first game of the day. It's a game we call the facts of life. The time is right. In this game, we take a crowdsourced opinion about a topic and players must take turns to identify them on a top 10 list. An incorrect answer will get you a strike and the player that gets three strikes loses the round. The winner of round one will be awarded the power, the power, which allows the player who has it to make all the choices in the game first and wins all ties. You will get one point for each correct answer in the round. There's no such thing as an action movie, says screenwriter Stephen E. DeSosa. Action movie is a term that was invented in the 80s, and he's not wrong. Before the MTV age, action was diversified. There were swashbucklers, westerns, war epics, crime thrillers, fists of fury, all the way back to Buster Keaton. Audiences thrilled at feats of daring do, but action was just another tool in the filmmakers' boxes. The 80s belonged to action, however. Pectorials rippling with heavy recoil, entire neighborhoods disintegrating into pyrotechnic displays, no end too grisly for a one-line eulogy. The decade produced some of the greatest action films ever seen, but what action movies are the greatest? Question mark. This Facts of Life list asks you, what are the greatest action movies of the 1980s? The judges have aggregated 12 different best-of lists from well-known websites ran by historians, as well as fan voting websites, so both the pros and the fans alike have been accounted for in this list. The list rules that these are all American-made movies listed specifically as action films released during the 1980s. 
We have removed action-packed movies that have stronger connections to other genres, so you won't see sci-fi movies like Star Wars or Aliens, or spy films like the James Bond movies or Westerns on this list. Okay, that's it. Gotta remember that. The judges felt that those fall into a different niche of movies, but warned that some of the movies on this list absolutely do tip their toes into other genres as well. So we might have some loud arguments headed our way on this episode again. The list has the top 50 movies on it. We are adding one wrinkle to the rules here. If you get number 50 on this list, then you won't be given a strike, but instead your opponent will be given a strike in your place. So if you don't have a good guess, then make a very bad one and we'll see if you can strike out your opponent. As always, your personal favorite movies may not make the list or their position on the list might get you bent. I know my personal list would look very different than this one, but we don't write the list. It's all cold, unfeeling data. Such are the facts of life. Did you say there's 50 movies on the list? There's 50 on the list. We're guessing the top 10. So three strikes. Oh, okay. Only the top 10 count. All right. So tell me, guys, what are the greatest American action films of the 1980s? We played a loud game of rock and roll Jeopardy backstage to see who goes first. And Darren won Final Jeopardy, answering that Motorhead is not a heavy metal band. And that gave him the win. Lies. That joke makes a whole lot more sense if you go back and listen to episode four. We are Motorhead! And we play rock and roll! But Darren, you go first. Who's going to study? I'm hoping I'm going to get number one here and say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark is a correct answer, but it's number four. Well done, Darren. The boulder, the truck, the swordsman, the action in Raiders is nothing short of iconic. Lucas and Spielberg set out to make something better than Bond, and against all odds, they did. Trust me. Well done, Darren. Thank Bill, you. your turn. Yippee-ki-yay. Die Hard. Die Hard. Number three on the list. Well done. Two things about Die Hard, Jay, yeah. from uh, my personal opinion. First of all, Hans Gruber may be the greatest villain in the history of an action movie. And second, uh, first movie and probably last movie ever that had a positive character wearing a white tank top. So those two things. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I've had the judges check on that last one, but I think you're right. Judges? Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Mm, checks out. Okay, Darren, back to you, buddy. Let's go with The Terminator. The Terminator, number two on the list. Well done. You guys are climbing the list. I had the poster of the Terminator with uh, his 45 long slide with laser sighting on my wall way, way back in the day. One of my all-time favorites. It's truly a great achievement in filmmaking on a two-string budget by a genius of filmmaker. Yes, James Cameron used to be a genius filmmaker. You're right. Uh, my connection with Terminator is the summer of 1985. It's playing on cable, and I recorded it uh, on tape. And I watched that movie every single day all summer. I watched that movie every day and I watched Revenge of the Nerds back to back. They're on the same tape. And so I watched them every day on summer. And almost every single time that there were a pair of boobs on the screen, my parents would walk in to the room and I'm like, I swear, I'm just watching the movie, but it's just, it was really bad timing the whole night. I'll be back. No fuzziness on that VHS tape whatsoever <laughs> in those moments. It's my turn. Um, I'm, I'm going to stick with Arnold and go with Predator. Yeah. Stick around. Predator, number one on the survey. Well done. You guys have climbed up each time. That's pretty cool. Muscles are no match for lasers and cloaking devices. One of the toughest ensembles ever collected on film dies horribly man by man until all that's left is the least killable action hero in history. 
who who would have guessed that two of them would have been state governors who were in that movie? <laughs> Him and Jesse the Body, right? Absolutely. It uh, probably holds the record for '80s movies with the most biceps and also most governors in the same film. Probably so. I don't have time to bleed, Jay. If it bleeds, we can kill it. No strikes. Back to you, Darren. There's six yeah. answers remaining. Okay, now's when I'm getting worried. To me, this one's a classic. I'm going to shoot for it. I'd buy that for a dollar. How about RoboCop? RoboCop, that's pretty much a science fiction film, Darren. But it's also on the list as an action film. Well done. Number nine on the list. The beauty of RoboCop lies in its straight-faced hyperbole. As much as its caustic commentary on hyper-violent American action movies, it too is a hyper-violent American action movie. Just brilliant. You have 20 seconds to comply. Bill, no strikes. Only five answers remain. I'm going to go another cross-genre choice here uh, and stick with the James Cameron theme and go with Aliens. Not Alien, but Aliens. Aliens is not on the survey. You know, Bill, it's really my fault on this one because I should have prefaced it in the opening of the game to say that movies like Star Wars... You actually did. He just didn't Oh, did I? Did I actually say that? Oh, okay. My bad. No, you said Alien. You didn't say aliens. They're very oh, different. Oh boy, movies. we get into this crap again. I just we just did. They are very different movies. One I did I say alien or aliens? I heard an S, Save. I'm just yeah. telling you. I heard yeah, an S. Back in episode four, you got all on my case and you said billions. And I, you didn't say the you didn't say you said billionaire <laughs> or not millionaire. I, I think I, I said millionaire. That, I I listened to that thing ten times and you said billionaire. Judges? I have a quibble. Oh, uh, loud arguments? In C, you said that Thurston Howell III was a billionaire. Yeah, no, he did he say millionaire billionaire. Or billionaire? He said billionaire with a B. No, he, the song is millionaire. Yeah, you said billionaire. I didn't say billionaire. Roll the, roll the tape on that. You said billionaire. <laughs> a billionaire. A billionaire. A billionaire. What? The judges are abstaining from answering this one. Okay. Fair enough. That's Let's okay. just agree to be friends and disagree here. Okay. Right. But Aliens is a is an action movie. It is not a sci-fi movie. The one thing we can agree on is that it's not on the list. Wait. Okay. Begrudgingly, because it is a great movie. No question. A great movie. And no question. Lots of action. But Game uh, over, man. Game over. <laughs> Bill Paxton is great. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Yeah. R.I.P. Okay, Bill, that's one strike for you. Darren, back to you. Five for me, this this one is one of the greatest, greatest, greatest ever. Uh, so I hope it's in the top 10. Rambo, First Blood Part 2. Rambo, First Blood Part 2 is... Incorrect. It's not on the top 10. It's on the list. Is it number 50? That's the question we need to ask. No, it should be number 11 if it's not. Uh, there is not a better pro-American anti-communism movie than that one. The kills, brilliant. I mean, the explosive arrow tips being shot, the knife. Tell me, everybody wanted that knife, right? Oh, everybody. yeah. I was like 10 years old and I wanted that giant mm-hmm. survival knife. Number 15 on the list. Okay. There you go. Just it's outside of the top I'll accept uh, a strike if it's if it's number 15. I'll take that. Well, it's a good thing because you got one. Yeah. So it's one strike piece back to you, Bill. All right. Let's go back to Arnold. Say commando. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what Major. You did. I lied. Commando. 
Number seven on the list. Well done. Mall security, air traffic control, physics. Nothing can stop John Matrix. He would jump from planes that are taken off, roll down mountains and Chevy Blazers with the brakes cut out, and gun down hundreds of foreign soldiers somehow stationed on an island off the California coast in order to get Alyssa Milano back. This is a great and ridiculous fun film. What'd you do with Sally? I let him go. Going back to you, Darren. You have one strike. Right, I'm struggling now. My, all my list is tapped. So let's try Raiders Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Uh, I hate to tear your heart out on this one, but that is incorrect. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I figured. So that's two strikes for you. Where is that one on the list? Number 49 on the list. Oh, so I'm close. Sorry. Close enough to 50. Yeah. Jay, I would say that you just ripped Darren's heart out and said Kali Ma over and over again with that one. I think so. In fact, I think I literally did say that, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and who doesn't love that Short Round is back in, uh, in movies? Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely fantastic. I'm rooting for him on the upcoming Academy Awards that we're about to watch. That would be fantastic. Yeah. By the time this airs, we'll probably know. So we got one strike. There are four answers remaining. I sort of expected Darren to go in this direction with this one, but uh, First Blood. First Blood is correct. Number five on the list. I know, Darren. When you said First Blood, I'm like, I'm ready to hit the ding button and you go, part two. Yeah. yeah. Then you it, came up with part it, two. It, I'm like, part two is leaps and bounds, eons, centuries, millennia better than First Blood is. Oh, I disagree. No question. I disagree. No question. Zero question. Zabo, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> Not even a comparison. That line is super rad, and I love it. But First Blood's got a lot of heart, though. All I wanted was something to eat. But the man kept pushing, sir. Well, you did some pushing of your own, John. They drew First Blood, not me. Look, Johnny, let me come in and get you the hell out of there. They drew First Blood. Back to Darren. Here's your situation. Three and answers I'm, remain, I'm... Darren. You got two strikes. It's win or go home right here. I know it's uh, it's go home. I'm 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 almost completely out of answers, and I know it was made in the '90s. I'm just to give an answer, and not uh, get the strike. I'm going to say Terminator Two. T two yeah. was not a movie in the '80s. You're correct no, on that, but it, it did not make the survey for an '80s movie. That means that's your third strike, Darren. Which means, Bill, congratulations! You've won round one, and that means you got the power. The power we is. I had no more guesses. Bill, did you have any more? The Running Man was going to be my next guest. Ooh, yeah. Do you have any others, Bill? Out for Justice. <laughs> <laughs> now, Under Siege. I would go with Under Siege. Yeah. Under I know Siege you're going to go Seagal. Well, oh, I see. You're going to go for the number 50. That's smart, Bill. No, Out for <laughs> Justice is awesome. Great cast. I mean, it's got Jerry Orbach in it. It's got uh what's her face uh, from showgirls not elizabeth berkeley but the one that i could actually act nina gershon, uh, nina gershon. yes yeah. that's right if you got william forsyth in it great cast and plus uh seagal snaps a lot of limbs in that movie it is <laughs> it is fantastic uh okay let's go down the list and pick, we'll find the ones you guys didn't pick number one was predator two was terminator three was die hard number four was raiders of the lost ark number five was first blood Number six, you guys did not pick, which was Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. Have we canceled that movie now? <laughs> <laughs> Number seven was Commando. Eight was not picked, which was 
Big Trouble and Little China. Oh, wow. No. I've never seen that movie, actually. Okay, then don't say no. You've never seen it. It's entertaining. Never wanted to. (laughs) It's got it's got its charm for sure. Number nine was Robocop, and number 10 was Bill, you would have gotten it right. The running man. Well done. I know people are interested and wondering, they're screaming at their podcast player. Well, what was number 50? Since we teased that a lot. Number 50 was the Toxic Avenger. I don't even remember that movie. So no. No. I wouldn't call that an action movie. That's kind of more horror sci-fi to me but that's cheesy b horror it was number 50 so fair enough i will i will lose fair and square on that one all right my first day on the force and i'm chasing monsters before we start round two let's take a moment to better meet our contestants the judges are the gatekeepers of all things gen x here on the show and to that end they are requesting to know from our contestants about their gen x credentials that is apart from being born between 1965 and 1980 what qualifies you to claim yourself as part of generation x and what might potentially disqualify you from being Gen X? Welcome back to the show. Darren, please tell us a little bit about yourself and please include your Gen X qualifiers and potential disqualifiers. Well, I uh, obviously don't do my homework before uh, coming on the podcast and I didn't uh, do the amount of action movie study and I probably should have. So it shows that I'm a bit of a slacker. So uh, that fits with Gen X 100%. I, of course, follow the Gen X Facebook page, and I will say a recent post from this week. Of course, I could identify Kit and the A-Team van along with the General Lee, but Airwolf stumped uh, some people. Now, I know I never saw a a single episode of, of Airwolf, but I could at least identify the helicopter. That's a pretty good one. So they filmed some of those episodes on Catalina Island, in which I had family on. And I can't remember which actor it was, but one of the actors tried to pick up on my aunt at a bar in Catalina Island. That's the most I know of Airwolf. That's the only thing I know. That would have had to have been, uh, again, Michael Vincent. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. There's no question. Hey, I'm not dropping names. I'm just saying one Uh of the actors tried to nail my aunt. It might have been Ernest Borgnine that tried to hook up with my aunt. I'm just saying. (laughs) Let's not sleep on Ernest Borgnine. (laughs) Or with him, I guess. I would say it's the qualifiers. Plenty of obscure, worthless knowledge, video games, game shows. It's a, it's a lifestyle more than anything else. When you're born into it, you, you can't escape it. And it's a beautiful thing. We have culture. We have bands that will last the test of time. And yeah, Gen X was a, was a wonderful time to be born and a wonderful time to be raised. We may not have invented pop culture, but we certainly perfected it. Absolutely. And what disqualifiers do you got for us? Not liking Commando, apparently, uh, is might be one of those. <laughs> uh, never having seen Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, thanks for being here, Darren. Also, welcome back to the show, two-time contestant Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my Gen X qualifier... I remember when there was a thing called New Coke. So uh, in the 1980s, the Coca-Cola company decided that uh, they were going to take the most popular soft drink ever and do away with it and come out with something called New Coke, which was decidedly worse. But they got a whole bunch of marketing pub. And like two weeks later, on the shelves was something called Coca-Cola Classic. So just an absolute masterclass in marketing and publicity because... That was always the plan. They never really wanted new Coke out there, and it soon went off the shelves, and the planet was better for it. So that is my Gen X qualifier, my disqualifier. And you could disqualify me for, for this if you want. And I'd like to caveat this at the beginning, because John Hughes was an incredible genius, 
and created some art that filled a, a many of our lives and some of the, the best moments of the 80s. I mean, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Vacation, so many great movies that he had a part of. But there's one movie in his catalog that has to be stopped. It has to be taken out of any list of 80s classic, and that movie is 16 Candles. 16 Candles is a truly horrifying film from beginning to end. So first of all, let's just get this right out there. It is maybe one of the most inadvertently racist or inadvertently racist movies of the entire 1980s. There is a character in it that the name of the character is so racist, I'm not even going to say it on this particular podcast. And the portrayal of that character, if David Duke crawled out of whatever hole he is in and popped a VHS copy of 16 Candles into a VCR, wherever he is, he would say, man, that's a bit much. So you have the outright racism associated with that particular character. Samantha, who is the character played by Molly Ringwald, just a terrible person overall. I mean, she basically spends the entire movie moping around because this guy doesn't like her and the guy's got a girlfriend already. And the girlfriend's nice to her. Like she's crying in the hallway at one point and the, the girl stops and says, hey, is everything okay? But still, Samantha, terrible. But let's go on to the two really problematic pieces of this movie that need to be stopped. Farmer Ted played by Anthony Michael Hall, a.k.a. The Geek. First of all, he takes Samantha's underpants and shows the other nerds. Whatever, it's a funny joke, ha ha ha. But flat out rapes Carolyn. I mean, flat out rapes her. Takes a passed out girl in a car and rapes her. And then finally, the most problematic character of the whole movie is Jake Ryan himself. He's a senior at the high school. Samantha's a sophomore, so he's pining after a sophomore, a girl two years younger than him. That's the least problematic thing about Jake Ryan. When they have the party post-dance at his house, the house gets absolutely destroyed. And he does not seem concerned about it at all. I mean, what kind of sociopath does that? There's like a hole in the floor between the first floor and the basement. The furniture, the electronic equipment is all completely smashed. He then turns around and gives his dad's Rolls Royce to Farmer Ted, who A, has been drinking, and B, does not have a driver's license. Just a bad decision overall. And then finally, he basically just tells Farmer Ted, go ahead and rape my passed out girlfriend that is in the front seat of this Rolls Royce. Bottom line is that Carolyn is the only character in the entire movie who has any redeeming qualities whatsoever, and she's portrayed as the bad person. So again, you have to remove that movie from any classic 80s list. It is the worst movie of the 80s, truly horrifying, and people that show their children 16 Candles are doing their children a disservice. Let's get rid of that movie once and for all. You missed one more classic, classic scene than that one. Samantha's grandfather feeling her up. Oh, that's true. I think I blocked that one out. I oh, think it's look. a grandmother that feels her up. I'm just Is saying, it? I believe so. Okay. I'm mean, not like that makes it a whole lot better, but that's a whole lot to unpack, Bill. And, you know, this is an hour long podcast, so, so we're not going to go for that. However, I can say to back you up is that we've made many trivia questions on the podcast that have never made it to air because of the problematic nature of 16 Candles. So there's certainly a, a lot to go on for what you said there. But Sorry, I, I, I had some thoughts on that, on that particular movie that had, to, that had to come out of my mouth. So I could tell. I'm just going to say, Bill, you're not wrong. Okay. Fair enough. Judges, can these two contestants stay on the podcast? All right, word, you guys can stay. Before we start round two, let's take another listen to The Power Struggle.
Okay, John Wilder, write us out of this one. John Wilder? John Wilder? Vision Wilder? Hollywood. Hollywood Montrose. Woo! Doesn't it just sing? Round two. Round two is a game called Eight is Enough. In this game, I'll ask a total of eight questions, four to each of our contestants. Points are awarded for each correct answer, two points for a complete correct answer, and one pity point for a partial correct answer. At any time, players can appeal the judges to make a ruling for a partial correct answer and try and make their case through loud arguments, which I do not think will be an obstacle for these two. Players take turns answering the questions with a chance to steal if their opponent answers incorrectly. A steal is worth one point, but more importantly, a steal also takes the power away from their opponent. The judges require that all questions must be given an answer, no matter how incorrect they might be. So if you say, I don't know to a question, then you'll lose a point and you'll get slimed. The winner of round two will take a secret trip to the prize vault and choose the prize that the two of you will be playing for in round three. Before we start the questions, let's get a scoring update. Robin, what's the scores? Darren has three points. Bill has four and the power. Bill, you have the power. You get to pick between these two questions. Will it be, oh, my nose, which is a TV question? Or will it be, you told me you were combing your hair, which is a movie question? <laughs> Let's go with, you told me you were combing your hair. <laughs> All right. Kelly LeBrock has described her character in Weird Science as Mary Poppins with breasts. Not sure why she felt the need to boob shame Julie Andrews, but her point stands. John Hughes disappointed some of his fans in the critics world with this one, most notably Gene Siskel, but others like Roger Ebert found the charm that only John Hughes could bring, even in its juvenile weirdness. It's weird to have a John Hughes question so closely connected to your rant, Bill, but we're going to go for it. The story of Weird Science follows nerdy social outcast Gary and Wyatt, who use their brains and a computer to Frankenstein the perfect woman, Lisa, who shows up with unintended superpowers, which she then uses to boost the boys' social standings and confidence. Where was Lisa when I was a teenager? During a party gone awry, Gary and Wyatt's bullies push them to create another woman for them. The boys' second attempt is not as successful as all kinds of chaos ensues. Here's the question. Which of the following weird things does not happen in weird science after they forget to hook up the doll. Okay. Which of these does not happen? Is it A, furniture gets sucked up and out of the chimney? B, the night sky turns red? C, kids get trapped inside TV shows? Or is it D, everything in the living room turns blue? It's D, everything in the living room turns blue because it's everything in the kitchen turns blue. You did not fall for the little trickery of that question. Well done, Bill. That's two points. Thank you. Yes, it was everything in the kitchen that turns blue, not the living room. This next question is for you, Darren. It's called, Oh, My Nose. Hey, you guys. Oh, my nose. The Brady Bunch has the story of a lovely lady who brings up three very lovely girls. The Brady Bunch, while known for being apolitical, still pushed its share of social boundaries with its success as a sitcom. Carol and Mike create a blended family that validated families that were products of divorce, remarriage, and adoption. By leaving the fate of Carol's first husband unmentioned, they opened her character up to allow women of all marital statuses to relate to her. Here's the question. In earlier seasons of the show, the family had a dog, though it did not appear in every episode. Do you remember the name of the dog? Here's a multiple choice. Was it A, lion? B, tiger? C, bear, or is it D, they never said the dog's name on the show, but it was named Toto in real life. 
I'm certainly glad you gave uh, multiple choice on that because the answer jumped out to me. It is Tiger. Tiger is correct. Well done. Had you asked me without multiple choice, yeah, it probably wouldn't have come to me. See, judges, I told you. Well, we like to be nice to our contestants and our listeners to give them a chance. People haven't watched a Brady Bunch episode probably for 30 plus years. So I think it's fair to give multiple choice for certain things. Jay, points to the judges for not asking a question about Oliver. Because, man, <laughs> did he ruin that show. <laughs> no, no need. You little fink. Yeah, sure killer. Here's the fun fact about this question. The dog originally cast as Tiger died during season one. Recasting proved to be a huge pain, and so eventually, after spotty appearances on the show, the dog seemingly disappeared and was never heard from again. However, his kennel remained in the backyard throughout the entire run of the show. I'm just wondering where the ASPCA is at this time. I mean, what kind of show has their canine lead die in the in the first season of shooting? Well, I got to talk to the judges because, like, this whole show, we've got talk of like underage rape and dogs dying. Like, come on, this is a family show. Let's 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 keep things fun. Jeez, talk about a momentum killer right there. I'm having fun. Okay, good. Speaking of fun, speaking of segues, Bill, this question's for you. You can pick between these two questions. Will it be? Is it door number one? which is a television question, or will it be a three-hour tour? This is a Gilligan's Island, do I feel lucky question. The do I feel lucky question is a special kind of category that we've added in recent episodes. There's a time in our lives when we lose track of things and all this excitement. That's when we got to stop and remember what Clint Eastwood taught us. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? This category means that the question about to be asked is either impossibly hard and eccentric or just super easy. Your destiny is in your own hands here, depending how lucky you feel. Bunk. So, Bill, are you going to pass on the do I feel lucky question, thinking it's some weird nuanced question that the judges dreamed up, like what was Mrs. Howell's maiden name? Or are you going to hope that it's something easy, like how many castaways lived on Gilligan's Island? I've got a little bit of a a lead. I'm going to say I feel lucky. You got to say it cooler than that, though. Yes, I feel lucky. Today. Malfunction. <laughs> that was my mistake that, asking you to sound cool. My bad. That's true. The, you can't cha- ask a tiger to change his stripes. Okay. My, my mistake. We'll make a show note of that. <clears throat> okay, Bill. Here we go. This one, we put a little wrinkle on this one, too. You will have three seconds to answer this one once I'm done asking the question, or else I will be forced to give you more time to answer. The do I feel lucky question this episode is simply... How many castaways lived on Gilligan's Island? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, 5, B, 6, C, 7, or is it D, 69? 69, dudes! It's C, 7. 7 is, of course, correct. Yes, you got the ridiculously easy one. You felt lucky and it paid off. Well done, Bill. Thank you. I thought you were going to ask questions like, what's the skipper's real name or the professor's real name? Those I would have been able to answer as well. But are you uh, serious? Because that's what I was between. But I know Darren knows the, the skipper's real name. It's Jonas Grumby. Uh-huh. Well, you guys both know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roy Hinkley. Roy Hinkley. I don't know. I don't know Lovey Howell's maiden name though. That is one that you would have stumped me on. Okay, good. Darren, this is your question. It's called "Is it door number one?" Which is a television question. Let's make a deal. Is one of the most known and loved game shows of Generation X. Monty Hall chose members of the audience and made deals with them, sometimes resulting in them winning fabulous prizes and sometimes getting medium tier prizes or even unwanted prizes. 
The highs and lows felt during every episode leapt off the screen and made it one of the best daytime watches of our generation. Here's the question. What was the term on Let's Make a Deal for a gag prize, a.k.a. the worthless thing you don't want on your game show? Can I interrupt you and not even need the multiple choice on this one? No, you can't because there's a joke tied to it. All right. And you've just ruined it. Thank you. Is it A, a zonker? B, a zonky? C, a zonk? Or is it D, a a zabe? Dang, judges. That's a little bit below the belt. That really sucks. Which of these things do you not want on your game show, Darren? Well, it depends on uh, the type of game show. Uh, The answer, 100%, is a zonk. A zonk is correct. Not a zonker, a zonky, and most certainly not a Zabe. Well done. If the podcast crew is not aware of the wonderful, wonderful game show network called Buzzer TV, they show uh, 70s, 80s, sometimes into 90s game shows uh, 24-7. And Let's Make a Deal just got brought back uh, probably within the last month or two. If you really watch those, Monty Hall is not very nice to the contestants. <laughs> I know really it. not. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I love Buzzer TV. He did not have a lot of patience nor empathy for the people in the crowd that showed up dressed in those ridiculous costumes. No, not at all. With four questions down, Robin, let's get a scoring update. Darren has seven points and Bill has eight and he still has the power. It's a one point game. I expect nothing less. Bill, you get to pick between these two questions. Will it be... Eat My Shorts, which is a television question, or will it be Cinema Soundcheck, which is a head-to-head challenge? Go with Eat My Shorts. Eat My Shorts is a TV question. Who could have guessed that what began as a side spot on the Tracy Ullman show would turn into the writing, animation, and voice acting empire that is The Simpsons? They proved definitively that animation is not just for children. Animation doesn't have to be silly and juvenile, though that's certainly part of what makes it great. It can be moving, deep, beautiful, and clever. The Simpsons created the content and the generation raised on Saturday morning cartoons were primed and ready to love it. And we did. Starting out as a cast member on the Tracy Ullman show, Dan Castanaletta has been doing the iconic voice of Homer Simpson since his first appearance in 1987. Like most of his fellow castmates, Castanaletta also provides the voice of several other longtime reoccurring characters. Can you name at least three other characters that Dan voices? This is not multiple choice. Oh, boy. You might get a chance to steal here, uh, Darren, because uh, that's what I'm going to struggle on. B. Montgomery Burns. No. Uh, name name three. That's fine. Uh, Unless you want to stop. Yeah, I'll stop. Because if I get it wrong, then it doesn't <laughs> then, then it doesn't matter. I don't want to give Darren yeah. any hints. Yeah, you got it wrong, Bill. We'll put you out of misery right now. Uh, that is incorrect. You cannot name three. Darren, that means you get a chance to steal, and you'll get a point and take the power away from Bill if you can get it right. All right. For sure, he does. Grandpa Simpson. So I tied an onion to my belt, which was the style at the time. Uh, he does groundskeeper, Willie. Boy, you read my thoughts. You've got the shining. You mean shining? Shh. You want to get sued? I'll, I'll give a I'll give a wrong answer, and I'll say Mr. Burns. Why would you say one you know is wrong? Because I'm <laughs> running out of time. Why don't you just guess one that you know is right that could be right? <laughs> Judges, we're gonna give him another shot at that. Okay, because I'm totally drawing a blank. So pick one you know is wrong. Okay. You might luck your way into it. Krusty. Krusty the Clown. <laughs> well done, Darren. Thank See? you. I knew you could do it. 
how am I drawing a blank on all the Simpsons characters? It's been Great too long pull. since I've seen an episode. Since its premiere on its own TV show in 1989, The Simpsons has run for 34 seasons, with at least two future seasons confirmed. It holds the record for the longest-running American animated series and the longest-running American sitcom. It's been running so long now that a pattern has developed of the show, apparently predicting the future. The most notorious example being the election of Donald Trump to the office of president, which was a joke made on an episode from the year 2000. Let me read the other two voices that were on the list for the listeners. There was Grandpa Simpson, Krusty the Clown, Groundskeeper Willie, as you said, but also we would have accepted Mayor Quimby and Barney Gumbel. Darren, this question is for you. You've stolen the power and you get to go first in this one because it's a head-to-head challenge. It's called Cinema Soundcheck. For this question, I will give you the titles of tracks of a musical score of a popular movie from Generation X, and you need to tell me the title of the movie that it's from. Movie scores are usually instrumentals with obscure titles, but not always, and that should give you the hints that you need to name the movie. We will go back and forth between each player, who will give me a new movie title on each turn. Two points will be awarded to the player that gets it correct on their turn. Okay, so here are the clues. IMDb lists this film as a comedy. It was released in 1980, and it was rated PG. It's song number one. It's called Main Title, with a music credit given to John Williams. What movie from 1980 is that? Oh, comedy. Uh, John Williams. I think I'm wrong. I think I'm going to go with what comes to mind is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That is incorrect. Solid guess. There's logic behind it. Not a lot of chuckles in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Not a lot. Yeah, the track title was called Main Title with a credit given to John Williams. Bill, here's song number two. It's called Fighting Girls. Fighting Girls. I'll go with Caddyshack. Caddyshack is incorrect. Ooh, judges, we're getting to number three. Judges are getting excited. We're getting deep into the list. Darren, this one's for you. Song three. It's called Everything's Coming Up Roses. So far, we have Everything's Coming Up Roses, Fighting Girls, and Main Title with a music credit given to John Williams. Got you. Okay. I'm figuring out the thread now. This is Airplane. Is this Airplane, judges? <laughs> Leg it down, a smack em, yak em. Cole got to be. Yo. <laughs> that is correct. Well done. We only got the three this time, though. Airplane is absolutely correct. Well done, Darren. That's two points for you. Yeah, the other titles are, uh, let me read them all for those playing at home. Song one, main title with credit given to John Williams. If you recall, in the very beginning, the tail of the airplanes going through the clouds kind of looks like a shark fin. They take a bit from the Jaws theme. Fighting Girls, Everything's Coming Up Roses. Then we have Malumbo was the next song title. Song five was Notre Dame Victory March. Song six was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Hare Krishna. Help Jerry's kids. Oh, yeah. Song seven, Staying Alive. And if you didn't get it by then, it was song eight and the love theme from Airplane. So uh, it would have taken me till song six to get that one. So that being said, the last time we did this game, uh, I got it on the very first one. So I guess uh, it's just hit and miss on that. Yeah. The judges were really pissed about that, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, they did not like the fact that I got Pennsylvania Polka was the opening song of uh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as you said that, I'm like, that sounds like Groundhog Day. Hey, we get it. You guys are smart, okay? You don't got to rub it in the judges' noses. How rude. Okay, uh, here's the fun fact. The role of Roger Murdoch was written with Pete Rose in mind. Pete Rose was busy playing baseball when Airplane was shot in August, so they cast the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar instead. 
Kareem's agent insisted on an extra $5,000 to the original offer of $30,000 salary so that the basketball legend could purchase an oriental rug that he had his eye on. I bet you Pete Rose regrets not being in that movie. (laughs) Judges, really? That's the joke you're going to go with? Pete Rose in a gambling? Come on. You do better than that. I think you're great, but my dad says you don't get back on defense. You don't try hard enough. Not even in the playoffs. Yeah. Watch that crossfire, boys. Okay, these are the final two questions. Darren, you wrestled away the power, and I believe you have the lead now. Uh, I would like to uh, try to solve the power struggle so I can try to get the power back before it's too late. Okay, let's do it. Go in order, one through five. Let's hear them. All right. Number one is from Wheel of Fortune. Number two from the James Bond theme. Number three from Romancing the Stone. Number four is the song Call Me Al by Paul Simon. And number five is from Beverly Hills Cop. Judges, is that all five? I'm sorry, Ah. Bill. That is incorrect. Darren, you get a pick between these two questions. Will it be all I need are some tasty waves, a cool buzz, and I'm fine, which is a movie question? Or will it be Name that auto-tune head-to-head challenge. Uh, let's hopefully go for the safe points with uh, a Fast Times at Ridgemont High question. Okie doke. In the months leading up to the premiere of Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the studio execs at Universal became increasingly nervous. Whatever concept had gotten them to greenlight the project seemed to be forgotten as the suits in charge began to fret that maybe this teen movie was too candid or had way too much sex in it. When it came time to release the movie, they opted for a limited release in the West Coast, hoping that it would underperform and thus fade into the background. But word of mouth and an overall positive critical response ensured the popularity of this movie and made sure that it was a classic that it was meant to be in a particularly iconic scene. Mike Damone is offering his friend Mark advice on how to approach the girl that he likes. Damone lays out his five-point plan. What you need is my special five-point plan. Which is the fifth and most important step in the five-point plan? This is a multiple choice. Is it A, the dugout of an empty baseball field is the ideal place for a, quote, first time? Is it B, when making out, put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4? Is it C, wear a pirate costume, chicks dig pirates? Or is it D, win a surf competition and then wing it over to London with Mick and jam with the stones? irony here the very first concert i went to was with bill and who did we go see bill we saw jimmy page at the forum we saw jimmy page at the forum who was the guitarist of led zeppelin of course the answer is uh side one of led zeppelin four that is correct well done put on side one of led zeppelin four so there's a little nod to zeppelin fans in there because when they cut to rat and stacy in the car they are not playing Led Zeppelin 4. They are playing the song <laughs> Cashmere, which is which is on physical graffiti, but it's not on Led Zeppelin 4. So they, he plays Zeppelin, but the wrong album. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So going to the last question, Bill, we're going over to you. This question is called Name That Auto-Tune. It's a head-to-head challenge. For this question, the judges will perform part of a popular Gen X song, and you need to give me the title and artist of the song. The catch here is that the judges are terrible performers, and they will also be using an awful fake British accent to make things sound more confusing and silly than are necessary. 
There are a total of three songs that you will take turns answering with the regular rules applying for stealing the power as well as stealing points. So that means this question could potentially be worth up to five points to one of you. So anything can still happen. Bill, we're going to start with you. The song was from 1982. It is a rock slash new wave slash alternative slash indie song. We're going to hear the judges version and then you need to tell me the artist and title. Here we go. A cloud appears above your head. A beam of light comes shining down on you. Shining down on you. The cloud is moving nearer still. Aurora Borealis comes in view. Aurora comes in view. This sounds more like a guided meditation than song lyrics, but Bill, what do you got? I have no idea, so I'm just going to give a guess and say it's Thriller by Michael Jackson. You'd be amazed how often I hear that. Judges, is that Thriller? Bill, that's incorrect. Damn. Darren, you can steal this and get a point. The lyrics ring a bell, but uh, yeah, nice touch with uh, bad auto-tune fake British. This is the hardest game we play, I think. Is it Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden? Is it? No, it's not. I'm so sorry. Let's hear the original and see if you guys can figure it after listening to a bit of it. Song is that, guys? <laughs> yes, of course. It's I ran. Here's the fun fact about a flock of seagulls. Ready? Uh, these guys had weird hair, and that's the fun fact. Okay, Darren, you get song two. It's from 1983 and belongs to the rock genre, according to Wikipedia. Here we go. DC, San Antonio, and the Liberty Town, Boston, and Baton Rouge, Tulsa, Austin. Oklahoma City, Seattle, San Francisco too. Everywhere there's music, real live music, bands with a million styles. Artisan title of that song. Yeah, it is. It's right there, and uh, and it's just not jumping. Um, born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. Is it the boss, judges? I'm sorry, it's not. Bill, can you steal, get a point, and steal the power? Dip, 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 dip. They say the heart of rock and roll is still beaten by Huey Lewis in the news. Let's see if he's right. DC, San and the Liberty Town, Boston and Baton Rouge. Well done, Bill. Of course, that's correct. That means that's a point for you. And you've stolen the power. And you get this song. So this could be a total power play for you, Bill. Song three is from 1987. Wikipedia calls this a glam metal slash hard rock song. Your favorite genres. <laughs> let's see if that let's see if that helps you or not. Here we go. We got everything you want, honey. We know the names. We are the people that can find whatever you may need. If you got the money, honey, we got your disease. Uh, that would be Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. Well done, Bill. That is correct. 
at the end of round two, you have 11 points. Darren, you have 12. Bill, you have the power. So that means you get to go first in Dysfunctional Family Feud, unless Darren can take his stab at the power struggle and steal the power before we start round three. Why don't I go ahead and try it and just be wrong? Why not? Yep. Let's do it. Number one was definitely Wheel of Fortune. Uh, number two, I'm sure I'm losing it right here. I was thinking Knight Rider. Number three, I picked Better Off Dead. That's probably way too obscure. Bill was correct with number four. You can call me Al, Paul Simon. And I went with number five, Hollywood Shuffle. Again, that might still be a little obscure, but uh, there was a mention of Hollywood and Robert Townsend jumped to mind. So go ahead and buzz me. I know I'm wrong. Go ahead and buzz you. We will oblige. Yes, you are indeed wrong. I'm sorry, guys, that both of you did not get the power struggle question correct. That means we turn it over to our listeners to see if they can get it correct and claim that prize package. To enter for a chance to claim your generous prize package, you can join our newsletter and there will be a place for you to send in your answers. Details on how to join the newsletter can be found in the show notes for this episode or by visiting our website at whowillsavegenx.com. Good luck. You got the power struggle incorrect, but you had the most points going into the final round. So congratulations for winning round two, Darren. For winning round two, we were going to banish your opponent, Bill, into the Phantom Zone while you and I take a secret trip to the prize vault where you are going to select the prize that the two of you will be playing for in the final round. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Airwolf will continue. If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and subscribing for future episodes. The only way a show like this gets anywhere in the podcasting world is by positive reviews and word of mouth amongst friends. So if you're inclined, please help spread the word about the podcast and share it with that special Gen Xer in your life. We would love to have you as a friend of the show. Thanks so much. Robotech is back now. Round three. Round three is a prize round called Dysfunctional Family Feud. In this final round, I will ask the same five survey questions, Family Feud style, to each player in turn, and they will need to respond with what they think are the most popular responses from the Generation X timeline. That's the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. These are actual survey questions taken from actual people from Generation X that have been quizzed by the show via our newsletter. The player who has the power gets to answer first with player two unable to hear the responses. Player two will then have to give responses to the same five questions and beat the other player's score without duplicating any of their answers. Whoever ends up with the most points wins the game and goes on to claim a chance at their prize of the winner of round two selected in secret. If you'd like to take part in the Dysfunctional Family Feud surveys, sign up for our newsletter today and it will include a spot for you to reply to upcoming surveys and get your answers on the show. Okay, let's play Dysfunctional Family Feud. Darren, you need to go into the Phantom Zone. Bill, it's just you and I. All right. Your time will begin after I finish reading the first question. If your life depended on singing one Gen X TV theme song flawlessly, which one would you sing? Facts of Life. Name a football team who won a championship in the 80s. 49ers. They won four. What song was the best duet of the 80s endless love name a popular actor who started out as a pro athlete oj simpson name a person who was famous during the gen x timeline named george george the animal steel i know i'm gonna get a zero on that one but i don't care (laughs) 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 keep that Uh, laughing uh (laughs) 
on the on the answer. <laughs> I was this close to saying, Bill, I think you could be really happy with your results. Yeah, I was going to say George Michael, but that's a lot less funny than give Darren one because I'm pretty sure I got either the best or the second best answer on the other four. Let me just put it this way. I would be surprised if I didn't wind up with the most points after this. Stay humble, bro. Yeah. Let's welcome Darren back in from the Phantom Zone. Do I, do I need to, uh, to ask, did Bill uh, get five number one answers? I can guarantee you as we sit here that Bill did not get five number one answers. That is a lock. <laughs> okay. Darren, I'm going to ask you the same five survey questions I asked Bill. You cannot duplicate any of his answers. If you do, you'll hear this, and I'll ask you for another answer, okay? It's a little bit more difficult, so you get two passes. So if you get stuck, say pass, and we'll come back to it if there's enough time. So, Bill, yeah, that's what I forgot to tell you, is you have passes. <laughs> that's okay. That's a uh, host fail. Your time will begin after I finish reading the first question. If your life depended on singing one Gen X TV theme song flawlessly, which one would you sing? Cheers. Name a football team who won a championship in the 80s. San Francisco 49ers. Try again. Chicago Bears. Sorry, you mispronounced that. Can you say it again? The Bears. Thank you. What song was the best duet of the 80s? Islands in the Stream. Name a popular actor who started out as a pro athlete. Alex Karras. Yeah, that's that's not getting many points. He was Mongo. I mean, come on. <laughs> Mongo only pawn in game of life. <laughs> so, and Webster, but anyway. He wasn't Webster. That was well, Emmanuel was, Lewis. Okay, yes. I get him and Dick Buckus mixed up. Dick Buckus! And Emmanuel Lewis, for that matter. Here's your final question is, name a person who was famous during the Gen X timeline named George. George Jefferson. So going into Dysfunctional Family Feud, Bill had 11 points. Darren had 12. We're going to add that to your final scores. I asked you if your life depended on singing one Gen X TV theme song flawlessly, which one would you sing? Bill, you gave us Facts of Life, which was worth eight points. Adding that to your 11, you now have 19. Darren, you said Cheers, which was the number one answer worth 33 points. Add that to your 12, you now have 45 total points. So the score is 45 to 19. Next is I asked you name a football team that won a championship in the 1980s. Bill, you said the four-time winning San Francisco 49ers, which was the number two answer worth 30 points, bringing you to 49, 49 points. Interesting. Darren, you said the Bears, which was the number one answer worth a dominant 40 points bringing you to a total of 85 points. Next is, what song was the best duet of the 1980s? Bill, you gave us the beautiful song of Endless Love, which was worth 22 points, bringing you to 71. Darren, you gave us the number one answer in Islands in the Stream, which was worth 37 points. Wow, so I'm getting crushed here. Well, the score is Bill with 71 and Darren with 122. Yeah, you are getting crushed. Next in the survey was name a popular actor who started out as a pro athlete. Bill, you'll be happy to know that you gave us the number one answer with OJ Simpson worth the most points we've ever awarded on the podcast, 55 points. Bringing you to a total of 126. Darren, you gave us Webster's adopted dad and Alex Karras. It was worth a whopping three points. 
I still stand by that answer. Not a lot of love for the Webster star. So one point separates you going into the final question. Bill, how do you feel about your answer going into the final one? I love it. (laughs) You love it? Okay. One point separates you. The question is, name a person who was famous during the Gen X timeline named George. Bill, you gave us the unforgettable George the Animal Steel, which surprisingly did not get, which gave you no points. Bringing the hairiest you to a, back and shoulders ever. Why is the animal? Bringing you to a grand total for the whole episode, 126 points. Anything over 100 is a great job. And it all comes down to your answer, Darren, of George Jefferson. You need one point to tie, two to win. What did Gen X say? Survey said. It was worth four points, making you, Darren, <laughs> the champion of the game. Congratulations. You're doing your part to save Generation X. Well done. I feel validated now. I feel as though really it should have been a tie because George the Animal Steel was an absolute legend. Chewing turnbuckles as it comes. And yes. With the green uh, tongue. Yes. He was awesome. Now, and was just out awesome. of curiosity, uh, was George Michael the number one answer on that? George Michael was indeed the number one answer, Bill. All right. So I'll take it solace in the fact that I actually knew the number one answer, but I chose a cooler, much better answer in George the Animal Steel. I do yeah. respect you for that. George the Animal Steel is a great answer. However, our honorable mentions include George Costanza, Curious George, also George Glass from the Brady Bunch. But my personal favorite has to be, for our Southern California listeners, the great Wally George. <laughs> nine, nine, nine. Five thousand. <laughs> Four six four. Six, six, one, 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 one. <laughs> that joke's only good if you're from Southern California, I think. Pretty much. And didn't have anything to do on Friday nights. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, back in the 1980s and 90s, Wally George was the host of a UHF TV show in Southern California called Hot Seat. <laughs> he was a kind of like this ultra conservative political talk show type. Uh, who's just really aggressive towards his guests and trying to be as controversial and outlandish as possible. Why, I always take people like you off the air. If I don't like you, you don't get on the air. It's as simple as that. That's the way Wally plays the game. I think before there was a Morton Downey Jr. or Geraldo Rivera or even Alex Jones or any number of these modern-day conservative flamethrowers, there was Wally George. (laughs) The show was kind of like a, um, what do you call it, like a, a, a Jerry Springer Meets the WWF at times. I remember his call-in segment, though. That was fun. Uh, callers would call in, and us Gen Xers would call his show and kind of crank call him or, or troll him for his bizarre hairstyle and being this, like, crotchety old man. And it was fun to watch his head explode. On a hand from Huntington Beach. Okay, Rob, go ahead. Yes, I agree with your recent commentary on Gaddafi. Yeah. Being that his number one problem was neglecting your impotence. Yeah. Will you? Will you get off my back, you idiot? That's your number one problem, and your second problem is is you're a dim-witted idiot. What in the heck is the matter with you people? Have you got nothing better to do than make idiots of yourselves? But I think it's worth a Google search now these days to see what the beginnings of reality TV and ultra-conservative talk shows looked like back then. Absolutely. I was a part of Wally George's live studio audience, and they showed the episode uh, that premiered on my 18th birthday, and we, uh, we all gathered around and watched it together. It was a wild 18th birthday at the, the Zabe household. Yeah. Darren and I might have gone to three tapings of the Wally George show. 999! <laughs> 999! Yeah, right on. Okay. For winning the game, I offer a chance of a prize by me placing bids on my eBay watch list on the winner's behalf. 
I will place multiple bids on the listing chosen in secret by Darren until I am the high bidder. If that bid holds up until the end of the auction, then I'll buy that item for the winner and have it shipped out to you. Good luck. Let's take a look at all the prizes Darren had to choose from and then reveal what was chosen. Darren has impeccable taste, so I'm sure it was a wonderful prize. The prize vault includes this vintage Max Headroom Coca-Cola Extra Large T-shirt. Nothing gives away your age quite like wearing a T-shirt with Max Headroom's face on it. My, my Max Headroom. Next is a keychain featuring your choice of either the Skipper or Lovey Howell from Gilligan's Island's face on it. These are converted pinball machine parts recycled into keychains with illustrated pictures of these beloved characters. It's a pretty unique item. Next is a vintage Taco Bell t-shirt with some old school colors and logos printed on it. It is pre-owned, so there might still even be a stain on it from an Inchirito left behind. Next is a lobby card poster from the movie Weird Science with Kelly LeBrock flaunting her cleavage to further belittle Julie Andrews. We get it, Kelly. Now leave poor Julie Andrews alone. She's a national treasure, even though she's British. Two British listeners, I'm going to keep making fun of you until I hear from you guys. Here's a personal favorite. It's an 8x10 signed headshot of Ann B. Davis, Alice from TV's The Brady Bunch. It has a hand-signed inscription that reads, Hi, Mark. Love, Ann B. Davis. It just might be worth changing your name to Mark in order to own this. Far out. So, Darren, please reveal to us what item you picked and why. Because of the mention of Jonas Grumby and Gilligan's Island, I think we finally settled upon the Gilligan's Island pinball keychain. The bidding starts at $6.25. I'm pretty sure we are going to be the high bidder. I'm going to bid $6.69. Oh, there it is. Free expedited shipping. All right. We are indeed the high bidder with $6.65. We'll see if it goes all the way up to $6.69. If this bid holds up until the end of the auction, then I'll buy that item for you. Good luck, Darren. Excellent. I cannot wait. Bated breath. I'm going to be uh, watching that on my eBay. I might just bid you up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please bid $7 on it. Please do. Oh, Gilligan. Hey, guys, you got any shout outs or plugs you'd like to uh, talk to the audience before we end the show? There's only one person I really can think uh, I need to do a shout out to, and that is uh, Georgie Animal Steel. Keep eating those buckles, George. Uh, I don't know if George is still alive. I don't think he's with us anymore. I'm pretty uh, sure he's passed away. I think God needed some turnbuckles eaten in heaven and called him home. That's what I think happened. Fair enough. And to our champion, Darren, you got anything to shout out before we leave? I think I should shout out to uh, Steven Seagal and Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme for not having a movie in the top 10 somewhere. <laughs> How were you beaten by Kurt Russell? It's all in the reflexes. I, I, I don't quite understand that, but... Stallone had one. Uh, uh, yes, right, the wrong one. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> and of course, a shout out to uh, the podcast's wonderful, wonderful host. Oh, Thanks again for having me back. My pleasure. We're going to okay. go back and re redo the math on the uh, final round, by the way. Please don't check my math. Just go with it. I was just <laughs> thinking right. how, how little flack I got this episode from you guys. I was really expecting to get nailed. I've got one shout out to give. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our new Patreon supporter, Paul, who has recently signed up at the very generous prices right here on the Patreon site. That benefit not only guarantees that he'll be a future guest on the podcast, but also that he gets this very special sound drop selected just for him. Thanks, Paul. This one's just for you. Wayne Meyer, the kid from Green Bay. 
See, here's a good example. Two brothers, one speaks no English, the other learned how to speak English from watching the wide world of sports. So you tell me, which is better, speaking no English at all or speaking Howard Cosell? Thank you for checking out the show. We know you have a vast ocean of choices for your podcasting enjoyment, and it is simply amazing that you chose to spend a little time on our show. Thank you. If you like what we're doing here and you'd like to contribute directly to the show, we have a Patreon account set up at patreon.com slash who will save Gen X. At our Patreon site, you'll see special offers for becoming a contributor to the show. So take advantage of those if you are interested, just like Paul did. If you'd like, you can head over to who will save Gen X.com and learn all about the ways you can do your part to save Gen X from being forgotten. But if you're feeling like a slacker at the moment, you can just email me and I promise to write you back with all the details you want. You can reach me or any of the judges at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com. In either case, thanks so much for listening. Well, that's it for the episode. Thanks again for checking out the show. We welcome you to share it with that special Gen Xer in your life and subscribing to the show for future episodes where we will once again ask the question, who will save Generation X? Later. Hey everyone, just before we play our last final bit of the episode, I'd like to remind you that if you go to our website at whowillsavegenx.com, you can now leave us a voicemail. When you go to the site, you'll see a blue microphone icon on the lower right part of your screen. Just tap on that and leave us a message. It's free to use, and your voice might end up on an episode of an upcoming show. You can say whatever you want, be it feedback for the show, ask us a trivia question, or just do your best Wally George style crank call. It's all good, and we'd love to hear from you. So let's see if you can beat some of these actual calls from the good old Wally George show, Hot Seat. Later. Let's go to our first caller. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Wally. This is Larry from Santa Ana. Hello, Larry. Yeah, I have a couple of questions in regards to the traffic problem that's arising in Orange County. All right. Okay, firstly, you're bald, and secondly... Oh, get off. Get off my show, you perverted pinko. Hello, you're on the air. Oh, hello, Wally. Yes. This is Bruce Belcher from Huntington Beach. Yes, Bruce. And uh, impotence can be cured. Oh, will you get... Hey. Don't call me anymore. You're banned from this program. Yeah, hello. I'm Miss Diane. Hello, Diane. Um, I'd like to know what you think of the British band Depeche Mode. A uh, who? Depeche Mode? Well, that sounds like something I had for dessert today. <laughs> next caller, hello, you're on the air. Wally. Yes. What kind of buds you got for sale? Get off. Hello, next caller, you're on the air. Hello, Wally. Yes. Derek. Eric, yes. Um, I'd just like to ask you what you think about... I knew it. I knew it. Brain-damaged adolescent idiots. Let's go to the next caller. Hello, you're on the air. How are you doing, West Hollywood Wally? Yeah, nice to hear from you. Hey, how did... Don't you ever call me West... How dare you call me West Hollywood Wally, you pervert? That's what we have to do. We have to try to prevent the Soviet Union from taking over all of Central America. You obviously have no intelligence and don't ever call me again. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.